2 Timothy chapter number 1. And let's uh, go ahead and stand. I think that's what we do, right? (laughs) And we're going to begin in verse number 6 and read down to verse number 14. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 14. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Let's pray. Father, our our prayer is very simple, that we would do that which we are exhorted to do in the passage this evening, that we would remain faithful to you. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. I believe I mentioned last Sunday night that as I read 2 Timothy I find not Paul to be sad, but I, I think that the whole tenor of the book is sad. I personally find 2 Timothy both encouraging and somewhat discouraging. It is encouraging, I think, to all those, and I would put this present day group of Bible believers under this umbrella. I do say that the book is encouraging to those of us who minister and serve in what appears to be great unfruitfulness. That the number of people apparently really coming to Christ is not very large. And the number of defections certainly seem to outweigh the converts. 
And the very nature of Christian service is declining. And this is a book that I think offers hope and encouragement to those who labor under such circumstances. But I also find the book a little troubling. For defection is one of the major things that Paul is addressing in the book. And I just keep thinking to myself, if a man of Paul's stature couldn't stem this tide, what are we to do? And of course, Paul is going to tell us what to do. But Paul is also going to point out to us that doing it is not as simple as it sounds. But I just, as I go through this book, I just keep coming back to this, that the man who was such a blessing to so many and who is so instrumental in the lives of so many comes to the end of his own life and is abandoned by many of those he helped. There is a very disturbing tone to the book. The first major section of the book, <clears throat> then, 1 Timothy 1.6, which we began this evening and all the way into chapter 2 and verse number 13, deal with Paul encouraging Timothy to, to not be among the number of those who defect. And we'll get to this at the end of the book. Not all defected. The Lord had other things for other people. And not everybody could be there with Paul. But many just simply found his circumstance too much to handle. So our passage this evening then is the beginning of the section in which Paul is encouraging Timothy to remain faithful to the Lord. In verses 6, 7, and 8, Paul anchors that appeal in the fact that true salvation should be faithful. Genuine salvation should generate faithfulness. Look, if you will, at verse number 6. And I put it that way because of the first word in verse number 6. Wherefore? Wherefore? Three Greek words make up that. Through this cause. Or possibly for this reason. Wherefore? What reason? Well, if we read back to verse number 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, Genuine faith should give rise to genuine faithfulness. Now, Paul is not suggesting that people like Demas are unsaved. There can be lapses in our faith. All of the apostles, at least the 11, up to the, up to, uh, <clears throat> the, the selection of the, the 12th the, the that either the book of Acts or Paul in Acts chapter 9, the 11 defected when their Savior was crucified. They ran away, and Peter even contemplated whether he would continue 
John chapter 20 and 21. But Paul is simply anchoring his appeal to Timothy to be faithful into the fact that his salvation is real. You have unfeigned faith for this cause. Stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Genuine faith enables genuine faithfulness. Paul's not saying that Timothy will not be afraid. Paul himself knew what it was to serve and labor in fear. Paul is saying that that kind of fear doesn't come from God. Verse number 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. God has not made us afraid to serve him. God is not the one who makes us afraid to stand for him. I confess to you that I've given a lot of thought to 2 Timothy 1.7 in recent days as we sorted through whether or not we should follow through on our planned trip to Peru. Did we remain home simply out of fear? God does not give to us the spirit of fear. Timothy, stir up the gift. Since your faith is genuine, do not give in to fear. It doesn't come from the Lord. What comes from the Lord is this, ability, power. That's what the word power there refers to. Divine ability to serve, love, and right thinking. This is a word we've seen many times in the Excuse me, in the pastorals. 1 Timothy 3.2, it is translated sober. Titus 2.4, it is sober. Titus 1.8, it is sober. Titus 2.2, it is temperate. Titus 2.5, it is discreet. And 2 Timothy 1.7, it is right mind. God has given us the right way of thinking. I think we could easily see, folks, how the traits described in verse number 7 are essential for maintaining our faithfulness to the Lord. Because the struggle, and Paul will get to this, that, that there are external, visible aspects of faithfulness, but the struggle is internal. Fear is a product of our minds. It's looking at potential realities, but it is a struggle that occurs in our mind. God has given us the ability to serve him. God gives to us love, and I think that contextually it would have to be love for him that desires to be faithful to him. And a right way of thinking, and Paul will turn again his attention to this. How do we... How do we think about this, folks? In the, in the world in which Paul is, and, and I think we need to, to have always in our mind in 2 Timothy, the world that Paul is facing. He is in prison. He is getting ready to be executed. The Roman government has made its position about Christianity clear. 
Paul is the leader of the Christian band. If they have gone after him, they will go after all. And everybody is calculating the potential fallout of what a Roman government coming after them looks like. And almost everywhere Paul turns, he is encountering people who are afraid. Now, Timothy, you cannot be one of those. You cannot be among the fearful. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Genuine faith gives you the ability to serve God, a love for him, and the right way of thinking about him. And what you need to do then is stir up the gift. And this is not his salvation. And I realize now at this point in time that right, the, the particular specific application may not go to every individual believer. But Timothy had the gift of preaching, of teaching. This is what Paul is talking about there in verse number 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. Not salvation. But his ability to be a proclaimer and teacher of God's word. Which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. 1 Timothy 4.14 Paul says to Timothy. Neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So Timothy, instead of giving way to fear, is to stir up his thinking. God gives to us the right way to think about his unpopularity. Can I put it that way? At this particular point in time, God is very unpopular in Paul's world. God tells us how to think about that kind of world. So Timothy, do not give your mind to those kinds of fears, but stir your mind up to the right way of thinking, and do not be ashamed, verse number 8, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Do not be ashamed. When Paul talks to Timothy about fear, the context of these verses is that the fear is taking the form of being ashamed. These people are ashamed of being Christians. They're ashamed of being labeled as a Christian. They're ashamed of being flagged for what it means to be a Christian. That's what we're talking about. This is not an imaginary situation, is it, folks? It is very dangerous in our world to be a Christian in certain places. That's the world we inhabit. That's corporate environment in most large corporations in America. Fly the rainbow flag you're okay. Fly the cross, and you're in peril. I'm not saying that you should fly the cross. I'm saying we live in the world that Paul is recognizing here, and we're dealing with conduct that Paul recognizes. 
the way people behave when they are ashamed of what they believe. Timothy, that cannot be you. That cannot be you. Paul will talk about this. He has talked about it in chapter 1, verse 8. He will mention it again in verse number 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Ashamed. The idea is to be disgraced or disfigured. To stand out for being different. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And I would understand that to be not the things that Jesus said, but the testimony about Jesus. And I put it that way, I think that that's what Paul is getting at because of the way that he identifies himself so closely with the Lord. And this, of course, is not ego, and this is not bragging. This is apostolic reality. Paul was declaring things about Jesus Christ. Those things were causing some people to be ashamed of their religious persuasion. Timothy, that cannot, cannot be you. Do not be ashamed of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So Paul encourages Timothy to be faithful by pointing out to him that genuine faith has genuine ability to be faithful to the Lord. Secondly, Paul points out to Timothy that there are distinctive things in mind. What does it mean to be faithful? Can a person just declare themselves faithful? Can I be faithful if my conduct has no dimension of faithfulness to it? Can I just be faithful because I say I am? And so on the one hand, Paul is talking to Timothy's mind, but on the second hand, he is talking to Timothy's action. Verse number 8, be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. God has been up front with us from the very beginning, folks. that to follow him would be an unpopular pathway. That we would always be a minority. We live in a world of great sensitivity to minorities. To be a Christian is to live in a distinct minority. The Lord never told us any other thing about this. When Jesus talked, he went all the way back into the Old Testament and he always made the same case. His people were unpopular in the Old Testament. They are unpopular in the Gospel era and they they will be unpopular going forward. So that there is always, I think, that what Paul is getting at, again, in verse number eight here, Right, is not 
I mean, not the extreme end, although Paul is about to be martyred. But that what Paul has in mind when he's talking about partakers of the afflictions of the gospel, he is talking about the fact that we are disgraceful as believing people. And that, of course, has taken a variety of forms, folks, throughout history, right? The, the church has collectively battled different things. And today, what are we, what, what's the great battle that we're facing? It's, it's not over the doctrine of the Trinity. It is over whether or not people are assigned a gender at birth that they cannot alter. We're fighting over whether boys are boys or girls are girls. And if, if you don't get that right in some places, you're going to lose everything in this world. So God has saved us. <clears throat> Verse number 9. Called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We will return to that and to verse number 10. Jump down to verse number 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. I suffer them, you will suffer them, all will Suffer them. Faithfully perform your duty. I am appointed a preacher. Said last week, Paul did not choose himself to be an apostle. He didn't think it was a really cool thing. He was chosen. Timothy also was chosen for that particular task. Titus chapter 1, verse number 1, Paul writes, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, the acknowledging of the truth which is in godliness, of hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. In other words, folks, we ask, right, this is going to apply to every believer, but specifically, right, the framework here is just, it is those who have been called to vocational ministry. Why should you stir up the gift? Why should you not give in to fear? Number one, because genuine faith has the ability to be faithful And secondly, because God has appointed you to be a proclaimer of his truth. That is the task. Timothy needed to stir his gift because his gift was the gift of proclamation. And again, folks, we know that there are times when Paul was afraid. He writes about that in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, and 6. Paul was human and he knew what it was to be apprehensive about what was going to happen to him in direct light of his ministry. In verse number 13, Paul gives Timothy this. We're just 
right? And, and I'm just going to, in verses 8 through 14, we're going we're gonna to pull two main points out of there. One is that there is a visible dimension to what Paul wants from Timothy. Your salvation makes it possible for you to be faithful. That faithfulness is going to look like something. And folks, there's a sense in which this is true of me, in particular within the framework, that pastors are expected to say certain things. But I would just point out to you that they are supposed to say certain things because God's people are supposed to believe those same things, and they're supposed to stand by that testimony as well. Verse number 13. Hold fast the form of sound words. What, right, Paul said, Timothy, don't be afraid. Be faithful. Okay, I want to be faithful. What do you want me to do? I want you to, I want you to follow the pattern. That's verse 13. I want you to follow the pattern. Remember that when God said to Moses, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I want you to build a tabernacle. I want you to get the people together. I want you to take an offering. Everybody that's willing to give, have them give. We're going to build a tabernacle. I'm going to give you the pattern. You're going to make the tabernacle exactly the way that I say. Now here we are many centuries later. And Christians are supposed to live the pattern the way that God said. And churches are supposed to follow the pattern. And we're up against the same dilemmas, folks. Right? Sometimes following the pattern is incredibly unpopular, so there are not a lot of people following the pattern. And then sometimes well-meaning people get it into their heads that maybe if they tweak the pattern a little bit, they'll get more people to follow. And since getting more people to follow is a good thing, then it's a good thing to tweak the pattern. But it's never a good thing to tweak the pattern. So hold fast to the form, to the pattern of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul sees the entire Bible as just a pattern for us to follow. Not mindlessly, but here are the things I want, here are the, here are the core truths that you must believe. Here is the attitude with which you must preach and practice those truths. Here are the things that you may not do. Here are the loves that you may not have. Here are the loves that you must have. Here's the pattern. Here's the pattern. You have heard it from me. And again, Paul is not bragging. He is simply reflecting what is true of all of the apostles, that they function as templates for us. Right? We have Jesus, a pattern and a template, an example. Unless any man should say, well, but he's Jesus and he was sinless. God gave to us the apostles who are not sinless but who are nevertheless templates and examples, patterns for us. They believed what Jesus believed. They received their instruction from him. 
They communicated it faithfully and truthfully. Timothy, follow the pattern. Church, follow the pattern. We don't do this out of selfishness. We do this out of devotion. Follow the pattern. The Lord gave us the right way of thinking. He told us how he thinks. And part of how he thinks is understanding that the church is going to experience times of great unpopularity. Follow the pattern anyway. Follow the pattern anyway. Verse number 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Protect the truth you've been given. Protect the truth you've been given. And again, he ties that to the reality of his salvation, folks. The the benchmark of genuine salvation in the New Testament is the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Over and over and over again. Right? Well, are you saved? Well, you have the Spirit. You don't have the Spirit? Well, you can't possibly be saved. Saved people have the Spirit. So, Timothy, your salvation given to you by God brings with it the ability to be faithful to the Lord even when it's unpopular, even when it's perilous. Timothy, here's what that faithfulness is going to look like. It is going to look like following the pattern. It is going to look like not compromising on the gospel message. And folks, look, you know this as well as I do. We are watching church after church collapse on all of these cultural issues. Bending over backwards to not be offensive to anybody. Trying to figure out some way, for instance, right? This is the latest craze to be sweeping the the church. Trying to figure out some way to make same-sex attraction acceptable. To not be offensive. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. And finally then, to go back to verses 8 through 14, Paul points out to Timothy that this faithfulness is made possible by God himself. Paul will do this at least twice in his conversation with Timothy. He will anchor his point, one of his points, in the work of Christ. He does that here in verses 9 and 10. Timothy, since your faith is genuine... Don't give in to fear. Stir up the gift. God gave us ability. God gave us love. God gave us right thinking. Endure the afflictions. Because God has saved us, verse 9. And God has called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began 
but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And again, folks, just think about that in light of what Paul is experiencing with men like Demas and others. He'll make mention of one if you just want to look down to verse number 15, which we didn't read this evening. We'll start there next week, Lord willing. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And Paul's not in Asia. I mean, we'll get to that, but Paul's not in Asia. When he means Asia, we're talking about modern-day Turkey. Paul's in modern-day Italy. And Asia has turned against me. And he mentions the two leaders there. But God has called us with a holy calling. And it is according to his purpose, not according to our works. And it is according to his grace. Folks, this is familiar territory to those of us that believe. Timothy doesn't need a remedial lesson in the gospel. Timothy needs to be able to anchor his life in the work of Christ. This is what God has done for us. And we had this grace. If you want to just get, and I don't want to say technical, just to, to, to make sure that we understand what is exactly being told in the text, who saved us, called with us a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That all existed before Adam and Eve were ever in the Garden of Eden, before there was ever a Garden of Eden for them to be in. We were called to be holy in Christ before Adam was formed. But now, verse 11, is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now we know it. Now we know what God knew before Adam was in Eden. And we see it in Christ because John 1.17, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And in the graciousness of his salvation, verse number 10, he has abolished death. He put a big going out of business sign on death. Which is, of course, folks, we understand theologically true. But again, I would encourage you to think about that statement in light of what Paul is experiencing. Why is everybody in Asia turned away from him? Well, we can't speak for everybody, folks, but we know that for a number of people, right, it is the fear of loss that makes them ashamed of their Lord. That if we, if we take our stand with Christ, what will the cost be? What will the cost be? And what if the cost is our life? Well, God has abolished death. That's 
the way we're supposed to think about it. We don't run to death gleefully, but we don't shy away from it either. And then Paul gives testimony to this personally in verse number 12. Verse number 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. I teach them, verses 9 and 10. I teach them the gospel. That is my calling, my appointment. And since I do that, then verse 12, I also suffer. Because it is part and parcel of being a proclaimer of the truth to suffer for the truth that you proclaim. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Many others are ashamed, but I'm not ashamed. And again, folks, Paul is not boasting and he is not bragging. Paul is testifying. Why are you not ashamed? And you know this, folks, but this is, this is precious, not because Paul knows what he believes, but because you know who he believes. Paul is not arguing for a doctrinal statement. Paul is not even arguing for things like, I can, I can track the doctrine, for instance, of men and women throughout the Bible, that there are only two genders, and that's what the doctrine is. Paul says, I know who I have believed. I know who. So since I know who I have believed, I know the person, the Lord, the one that saved me, I am confident that he will keep what I have entrusted to him. And you'll notice, folks, in verse number 12, that there is something that Paul has entrusted to the Lord, and in verse number 14, that there is something that the Lord has entrusted to us. It is a mutual relationship. And what we have committed unto him is everything. We all know this, folks. Right? We have, I mean, I'm looking at people who have built their lives around the reality of the Bible and their belief that there is a God and that he has spoken and that his name is Jehovah and he became a human and he's telling us the truth. And if we find out that the whole thing is a gigantic hoax, folks, we have really lost out. We know who we have believed. And since we know him, we know that he is able to keep what we have entrusted to him, our eternal souls. And I would understand against that day to be the day of judgment, the day of reckoning when it all is brought to light. So, we are called to be faithful. It is part of our salvation. And broadly, folks, that faithfulness looks like close adherence to what the Bible teaches in the knowledge that the Bible is not just a book, it is God's word. And that to know it is to know him. And he is the one who is able to keep us 
Right? That's what he's arguing. I don't keep myself. He will keep me. Be faithful. It is the work of God. Let's pray.